Amen. We want to thank you again for joining us online this morning, uh, joining us maybe during the week as you are able to listen to it. Um, just a few people here in our building, uh, but it's nice to see faces. I'm, I'm just at nature. I'm a church kid. Um, I, I, I grew up in church, love church. I love going to services. I love hanging out. Some of the funniest things in my life, some of the greatest memories, and some of the um, even times that I've seen God really just break through some things um, happen at church around God's people. Um, and I, on mornings like this, it's tough because when you, when you look out at the weather and the weather really changed um, pretty suddenly, uh, we looked at the weather forecast coming into this morning and, and it looked like everything was going to be very manageable today. Uh, and if you've looked out your window, I'm sure you have, um, it doesn't look very manageable. Uh, we've had a couple of people sliding around coming in, uh, one that made it, one that didn't. Uh, everybody's okay, uh, but um, we, we were not exactly um, our normal crowd this morning. Um, mornings like this, again, thank you so much for um, all that you do, people that are here, um, and some of you that aren't here that are serve faithfully all the time um, to really make our services able to get out there right now. Uh, that's been happening for months and months and months, and we want to say thank you for that. Um, but I do, in that, want to encourage a couple of things. Number one, um, if you are in a situation where, especially because of COVID, uh, which we're, we're all still um, learning and, and discovering what we need to do sometimes day in and day out, um, if you still are in a situation where you have some concerns, we have people, we have one gentleman this morning who um, is having a procedure done this week and it's just, he needs to make sure to be able to get in and have that done, uh, that he's around as few people as possible. But we understand that. Um, if you're really concerned and you're in, a, you're in a window where you really could have some drastic difficulty uh, with COVID, with things that come with it, um, we, we really want to encourage you to uh, be safe but be connected. Um, but also, um, if you are not in that category and you are really at a place in life um, that you've reconnected in a lot of areas uh, through work, uh, socially, as, as you go out and the places that you're going has, has gotten much more back to normal, um, I want to encourage you to really come in, um, really come back to services, um, be here, be connected, be face-to-face. -face. Um, I, I know that the technology of this um, makes service on Sunday morning convenient, um, but I have found um, in my lifetime, both for myself and for others that I've, I've, I've tried to minister to and I've talked with and counseled with, um, many times the, one of the key connections for us is when we're able to be um, in and with our, our community of, of, of faith, when we're with other believers, um, when we're able to be but we disconnect from it, um, that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's kind of a season in life where um, we can have those temptations come in to just really see the convenience of not going. Um, or just feeling disconnected, feeling like um, things aren't really happening for me or people aren't reaching out the right way. And uh, there's a lot of thoughts that come with that. Um, I just want to encourage you to, to really think through what's going through your mind right now, what's going through your affections, and really just consider what God is calling us to. Um, there's some exciting things that are going to be happening here on this campus. They're going to be happening virtually, um, and I'm glad you're a part of what's going on. Uh, but I, would I really want to extend the invitation for you to be um, as involved as you can be through this season. Uh, that I believe, I, and I really, I pray that we're, we're really climbing out of, and we're going to see a lot of movement happening. Uh, we are in this series um, of Acts. We're studying through the book of Acts, um, and just, we're, we're not too far from taking a little bit of a time out on this series um, to cover some things I really believe that God has for our church, but um, he also has this, I, I believe, firmly for our church. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. Now, in chapters 3 and chapters 4, um, we see, for the very first time, we see individuals, believers, who are really now starting to figure out what does it mean to live with Jesus in me? Uh, because Peter and John that we're going to see this morning, uh, when we were with them in chapter 2, we saw the Holy Spirit come on them. We, we talked about that last week. I want to encourage you to, to go back and listen to that and really think through and, and, and look at how God's presence came into believers. Um, it, it, he's not dwelling just in a place in, in this age um, for believers that are saved, that belong to Jesus, he's in us, and he's speaking to us, he's teaching us, he's guiding us. That's his goal. He's drawing us to himself closer and closer all the time. But, but these are now people functionally living with Jesus in them. And, and there's a lot of things that maybe we would assume that they would start with in chapter 3 to say, okay, if you've got Jesus in you, this is what you need to start, you need, this is really what you need to start, begin with. You need to put time into this and this and this. And, and, but honestly, chapters 3 and 4 are really clear in their presentation. And immediately they start with this idea that we have a story to tell. The gospel is living in us and is begging to come out of us. 
In chapter 3, as we're going to look at today, we're going to see, we're going to see um, in the life of Peter and John, them share Jesus. We're, we're going to see a really evangelistic moment, and then we're going to see an evangelistic speech. So I would really invite you to listen to chapter 3 for what we can learn and what we can glean in, how we can share our faith, our Jesus story effectively. But I also want you to encourage you to listen to this because within chapter 3, it's this really central idea that's really grounded into the book of Acts that's so important for us to really know what it means and really be able to hold on to it in our lives and use it. Um, so I want to begin reading in chapter 3. This is uh, Peter and John who are now, we're going to see them heal someone who is, who's lame. He's unable to walk. First one says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg for those <clears throat> from those entering the temple. This was not an uncommon sight. Um, there would be people who, in, in their own love for the Lord, their own love for people, they would help someone who was handicapped, who was crippled, unable to walk. They would carry them and they would sit them beside a gate at the temple because if you think through this, um, what better place for someone to ask for help than people who have enough of their heart aimed at the Lord to be aware of what he's saying? Because many times that, that's, that's a, a big part of, of what God aims us to in our lives, generosity. Not just generosity in what we give, but generosity in how we see people. Um, generosity in how we look at our time. Just that we would stop and we would listen and we would pay attention. Because um, as, as it... As it as we look at Jesus on the cross, he died a death that was for me and for you. And, and as Hebrews says, we don't serve a Jesus who doesn't know what we go through. In fact, at the moment that he was dying, he knew that it was representative and it was the, it, it was the punishment that we deserved. So in that sense, in a very real way, he is mindful of us, even ahead of us living on this earth. He, he his spirit is in us. He knows everything that we're thinking, everything that we're going through. He's so mindful of us. So what better way to show Jesus than to be mindful of people? And, and this is the scenario that we see here. Um, verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Now, this kind of begins the interaction that I think is really important for us to look at when it comes to how do I, how do I really share the gospel well? What, what are healthy expectations to be able to have in my mind, to, to be able to live up to. I think too many times um, we just think, well, I, I, don't know that I, could, I don't know that I could really share the gospel right. Um, I, I'll, I'll be quite honest with you. Um, when, when our heart is really seeking the Lord, I, I'm probably going to just encourage us to all fall on the side of maybe how could we not share the gospel at all? I mean, how, how, how could we hold it in? Um, how could we really mess it up if we're just telling the story of Jesus as accurately as we can? trusting that the Lord's doing something too. It says that he asked for money. You know, when we de if, if you're a believer and you're dealing with somebody that's lost um, and, and the conversation starts, um, it's not healthy to expect them to come into that conversation going, I need Jesus. I got to have him. He tell me how to get him. Most likely, what, they, what their perceived needs are of their life are very different than, than really what their spiritual needs are. If you look at the four Gospels and you look at Jesus coming up to people, what, what, is, what does he oftentimes deal with first? Food, financials, a lot of things that people can see in front of them. Obviously, this is this huge need. He satisfies it and he works in it to a way to, where he can lower the anxiety, he can bring people to focus and allow them, encourage them, and help them to hear more about Jesus. So when they say he asked for money, we, we, we can't dismiss that because that might be what someone sees as the biggest need in their life. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So as, as believers, don't, don't stress over what somebody comes to you with, especially if they're lost, but start to consider how can we, how can we start to shift the conversation? Well, no, I believe the first way that they started to shift the conversation was just they were very intentional in the attention that they gave this person and then encouraged that person to then look at them, to, 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 to invite them into a conversation, to make this meaningful. Um, the Gospels uh, refer to this idea, especially in Mark, about this person of peace, um, that there are specific moments that God would direct us to to intentionally share our faith in Jesus, and it's really set up by God. That somebody's ready to listen and ready to hear. 
I don't, I, I th- I'm sure you've heard a story and maybe you've experienced something in your life where somebody says, hey, look, somebody really just kind of tried to shove Jesus down my throat. Like, they were so angry. They just were, and you saw it, like, they were not ready to hear. Or maybe you weren't ready to hear the gospel at times when people really kind of pushed it on you. I believe that we need to be bold and we need to be clear, but we need to be spirit-led when we're sharing the gospel. That doesn't mean we shouldn't share it. It means that we should share it very intentionally and in the the directions that he guides us in. So so they invite him into this conversation, and there's a response. So clearly, Peter and John, remember, they're just like us. They're trying to figure out, how do I live with the Holy Spirit? How do I live by his direction? How do I live with Jesus in me? So when they invite him into this conversation, and then he visually responds, he focuses on them, they trust that that's the Holy Spirit continuing to leave that door open for them to be faithful in. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. Remember, still, his expectation hadn't totally changed. He still was mindful of what, he, what his need was, but he expected something from them. You know, to some extent, I would say it's pretty accurate that people expect generosity from Christians. I think people expect um, love. They expect grace. They may not understand it in the form that it comes to them in. And we have to set aside the frustration that comes with that. We, we can't just say, you know what, I can't deal with you because you don't accept it in the form that I give you. If, if they don't have Jesus in them, it's unhealthy to, to expect them to understand it in, in, a, in, a, in a form that maybe we would try to communicate it to them. But his expectation was not looked at by Peter and John as something to be frustrated with, but as a continual opportunity. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. Now, um, I would say, I would say, because I've, I've I've read the studies, I've done small groups on the subject. When it comes to sharing our faith, the vast majority of believers categorize themselves as um, unprepared, um, nervous, bashful, self-conscious, apprehensive. Uh, fear of failure is, the, is one of the biggest ones in, in one of the particular evangelistic series that I've seen that's been out for years and years and years. And they continue to refresh their studies. And it shows over and over again. People have this huge fear of failure. I, I, find, it, I find it almost humorous uh, when our students, the, the summer camp that our student ministry goes to, uh, when they do workshops with sharing your faith and sharing the gospel. Uh, there's one gentleman that has worked there for a number of years. And his very first step, his lead-in to the whole thing, is he gets students to stand up, partner up, look at each other and say, can I tell you about Jesus? And then he instructs the other person at this camp to look at them in the eye and say, no. And then as as that happens, as that process works out, he comes back and says, okay, guess what? Everybody's still breathing, and technically that was a failure. Well, there's a lot of reasons why I think we could come up with of why we don't share our faith. But, But in this moment, when Peter and John look at them, they, they step over the obstacle of, I may not meet your expectations. They stepped over it. And they said, listen, we don't have silver and gold. Like the thing that you may be expecting right now, we don't have it to give. However, that's not going to stop me from giving you what I do have. And, and I believe at a, on a very real level, on a very real level, this comes down to how they see the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if you think about it, if, if someone has a certain expectation for you and they, and they come into a conversation with it and, and you in your heart and your soul, you have Jesus and, and you have this wisdom that God is growing in you and there, there's a moment and, and, and you know that's not necessarily what they're looking for. I believe we both know that it takes great boldness and great confidence in the gospel to say, you know what? I can step over what your expectations might be because what I can share with you will make all the difference in the world because it's made all the difference in me. And sometimes as a, as a believer, we just need to stop and we just need to do some studying into the message of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the, the change that he's really brought into our life, who we are in him, and just continually fall in love with that. So we're compelled to share that with passion and conviction and commitment with anyone and everyone that we have an open door with that we have a conversation opportunity. I think too many of us think, you know, well, Peter and John, this must have been about just preaching to thousands. No, remember, it it shifts gears. They're public speaking, and then they're talking to one person. All of us may not find ourselves on a platform, but all of us find ourselves in conversations. 
And the Jesus in us is calling us to be aware of those and be intentional and, and be prepared um, and, and really trust where the Holy Spirit is leading. Um, and, and I want to encourage you towards this. You know, how, how, what does it look like to trust the Holy Spirit where he's leading? Um, if, if it was really about you or I having to be perfectly prepared, then Peter and John that morning would have been like, okay, let's put, let's put enough coins in our pockets just in case somebody that looks like they're in poverty brings this up so I can hand them that. And it, they, didn't, they, they didn't concern themselves with having everything in their pockets ready to go. It was really about what was on their heart and what was in their mind. Uh, verse 7, then, taking him by the hand, by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong, so he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Um, wh- what did Peter and John do in this evangelistic mode, in this, in this mode of um, how, how do you deal with somebody when you're sharing the gospel? Because remember, we're aimed at discipleship, which is a longer-term process than what I would call a Jesus drop. You know what a Jesus drop is? You, you ever experienced one of those? That's when you walk up to somebody, and they, and they just they unload, and you just kind of get tight, and you go, hey, praying for you, pal, and, and you roll out. Like, that's a Jesus drop. That's just kind of when we just kind of throw something, just kind of sprinkle it on what somebody says or what they're going through, and then we kind of hightail it out as believers really taking Jesus with us, potentially, especially if that person's not saved. We can't do that drop. Evangelism, discipleship, it's it's all about are we still there for that next step in life that that person needs? Now, initially, this person's need was really physical help, and that that illustrates um, spiritually what goes on in people. When, When someone is at the beginning of their faith in Jesus, they need a little bit more, as this happened here, hand-holding. They need somebody to help pick them up out of what they're in um, because they're, they're young in the faith. God is growing them. There's not as many things they've experienced maybe in the Word of God for the Holy Spirit to start connecting, so it really helps to have more externally going on around them when it comes to the Word of God and the heart of Jesus. But this guy, he jumps up. I mean, this is full-blown dance moves, excitement, and, and this is really, I mean, if you think about really what is the heart of worship, I mean, th- this is a life who says, I, I, was, I was hopeless, I, I, was, I had a condition that I could not overcome, I, I had need, and, and in that need, it was met by Jesus. And the outcome was, let me take the strength that is now in my body and in my life, and let, let, me, let me take the change that he's made and what he's called me to, and let me show it. I mean, I think the greatest testimony that he did was not even just his words at that moment, but he showed how his limbs were working. He showed the joints were healthy. Since all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonished at what um, had happened to him. Sometimes I think we, you know, maybe we get embarrassed of what our past life was, or or we kind of get caught up in what everybody um, assumes about us. I really believe sometimes um, that's the purpose of, of God calling who he calls and calling them out of what he calls them out of because other people have seen it and it's just on display evidence of the kind of work that God does. Now, in verse 11, it says, while he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. Now, the, they were not standing in the same spot. So they're at the gate. The gate was called Beautiful. This, this, this miracle happens. In the name of Jesus, this guy's healed. They then go into the temple. They go into this kind of worship and sacrificial environment, a place that, that Peter and John were already headed to towards prayer. And, and, and this guy goes with them. He's hanging on to them. And, and they come out of the temple. They go back through this gate. They go through the court of Gentiles, people that were really kind of representatively on the outside of God's family, looking in, seeking God. They walk through those people. They see, hey, something's happening. Um, other Israelites that, that knew this guy, they saw him for years and years and years asking for help, and, and many of them probably offering him help over and over and over again. They saw it, and just in absolute astonishment and all, they start running to where this small group is. Now, in that moment, Peter then trusts, okay, if this kind of thing is drawing your attention, let's use this opportunity. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, now that's his crowd. He's talking to people who have a general knowledge of God. They have a history with God. And they're trying to figure out what this situation really is. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at all this? 
Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? And that is such a beautiful statement in how Peter and John shared the gospel here. They just stopped and, and they didn't over talk it. They were just real simple and clear. If you think we're good people because we look like we did a good thing, please understand you're going to miss Jesus. And I think sometimes, really honestly, and, and, and I look at it in, in, in our church community and, and in others, sometimes it's, it's just the, the greatest people that you've ever been around, some of your best friends. But we still have to be very careful, and I know I keep saying it, but intentional to say it's, it's not just because it's good people, it's because of Jesus. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate. Though he had decided to release him, you denied, and he's going to call him three things here, you denied the holy and righteous one. So he's calling him the holy one and the righteous one. The, the, the holy title represents that, that Peter and John, especially Peter here, is, is presenting him saying, Jesus isn't just a good guy who taught some great lessons and did some good charity work. He's holy. In other words, this is the, this is the, this is the connection to God the Father. Peter's saying, look, that God that you have worshipped through generations, he came to earth. He says he's the righteous one. He lived perfectly. And, it, and it's not just that he was righteous while he lived on this planet. He's, he's practicing righteousness all the time. Everything that Jesus does is for his glory and for our best. He's like, that, that's who he is. He's righteous, not just in his walk here, but always. And, asked, and he said, and asked to have um, a murder released to do to you. You killed, here's the third one, the source of life. Now, some people have, have debated exactly what he meant um, over source of life. Some people just want to generally say um, that, that he understood that Jesus as the word was there at creation. And, and even if that's all he means, then Jesus himself has the power to bring life out of nothing. But remember, this is also Peter who saw Jesus die on the cross, and then he saw him alive out of a tomb. And when he looked at Jesus, he realized in himself and, and, and in Christ that, that death turned into life, and, and he's the source of it. He's the one that did it. He's the author. He's the inventor. He's the designer of it. He said, this is who Jesus is. He tells these people, listen, he is God. He is, he's right. He's always correct, and he's the source of everything that you need. And he says that this is whom God raised from the dead. <clears throat> we are witnesses of this, he says. Verse 18, by faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given this perfect health in front of you all, or in front of all of you. Now, when it says name of Jesus, what, what they would have understood, remember who his audience is, Israelites, so when they heard this, this idea, name of God, they understood that's God's identity. It's everything that he is. It's his character. It's how he acts. It's all of it. So when, when he says, in the name of Jesus, he, he's not saying, just because I said the name spelled by J-E-S-U-S. -S. He's saying, because of Jesus, because of who he is, because we can not just say his name, but we can put our faith in him. That's why he healed this man. You say, well, okay, well, he could have just, they could have just presented the gospel and the guy could have gotten saved just off of that. Yes, he could. But what did Jesus already say? That he's the same in the New Testament, the four gospels, that he's going to be inside of these believers, that they're going to do the works that he did, just multiplied out. So Jesus is showing that he's fulfilling promises to Peter and John, to other followers, to people who are now just hearing from him. He's saying, listen, I'm going to keep my promises so that whether you accept me today or in 500 years, it's just as good. Just as good. Now, this next section is, is really the charge that Peter puts out here that really kind of aims at this, I, I would call it the, the, the sin that the people are guilty of in Peter's presentation. Um, and it may not be the one that you think because he just said the comment, you know, that you, you, you guys did this. You guys, you know, even though the, it was God's plan, you kind of walked the path of putting him to death. He says this, and now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance. That's the big charge. You acted in ignorance. Now, for some of us, we look at that and go, okay, cool. 
that, that's not that big of a deal. Um, the ignorance means you don't know. You, you weren't educated in it, so you weren't responsible to it. Um, well, let, let's consider this for a second. Um, I think ignorance, yes. I mean, it, it can be absolutely not knowing. But there's also times that I, I choose my ignorance. I don't investigate. I don't ask questions. And, and really, it's me keeping myself ignorant. It's not because um, things weren't presented to me. It wasn't that I didn't have an opportunity to believe. It wasn't that I didn't have an opportunity to talk to someone. I mean, if, if think about it. If, if, you're, if you're at work, if, you, if, you're trying to, um, if you're trying to leave work early on a Friday, there are people at your job that you could probably go in and say, hey, is there anything that I can help you with? I'm all done with everything. It's 2 o'clock. But if you don't ask and you leave work at 2 o'clock, well, I, there wasn't, nobody didn't ask me to do anything. Well, you could be ignorant, but you could have chosen to be ignorant. Does that make sense? I, I, I hope. And, and sometimes we can choose our own ignorance. And, and I believe Peter's looking at them saying, hey, listen, th this, is not, um, this, this is not just casual. Some of this, you've got to own this responsibility. Um, and, and it's funny. Because spiritually speaking, um, it, it, when, when we pursue and we, and, we, and we go and we read and we pray and we seek God, um, it, it's amazing how the value scale of our lives change. Uh, through the last couple of weeks, you know, we've been just kind of cleaning some stuff out of the house and moving some things around, trying to get some stuff done. Um, I, I ran across this white bottle. Uh, it's something that I think just some kind of candy the boys had at some point. Um, it's just got this little pop top on it. And, and I looked inside of it, and it's a lot of these little um, kind of bronze color clasps. If you know the kind that you pinch, and they go on the back of a pen or something like that. Um, it's a bottle that was about two-thirds full of those. And, and, I, and I looked in it, and I thought, and I, I really, honestly, I grabbed it and thought, okay, I'm just going to throw this away. Because when I looked at it, I thought, well, I don't know what it's good for. So I, I, I go to throw it away, but I thought, oh, yeah, let me ask. So as, 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 as husbands should do, was just when, when in doubt, ask. Um, so I asked. Wendy, my wife, um, what are these? And she told me, she said, oh, she said, those are the clasps that go on the back of my grandfather's World War II medals. Okay, so um, Wendy's grandfather, um, coming back from the war, had um, some personal belongings stolen. So the majority of the medals that he was awarded um, were, were gone. And Wendy went through a process of getting those reissued and those are now in, a, in kind of a, a, a display. Well, as those are put on there, um, you couldn't fasten those clasps to the back of them. <clears throat> but now that I was aware of what those were, they were still, it's still just a, it's still what it is. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a white container full of these little clasps. But all of a sudden, they had value because of, of what they connect to and, and it wasn't just about keeping them. It was about there could be this moment in the future that if anybody, um, if, if the family divided those up or they ever need, like, I want to know that we can say with responsibility, here are the clasps that go with those medals because of the importance of it. Sometimes, sometimes we just, we have to ask, we have to say, okay, I can learn information. I can be responsible in my faith and I can pursue Jesus and, and I can gain some insight that will change how I value many simple things potentially. How I even consider the importance of the Holy Spirit in me. Um, but, but it takes our initiation. It takes our engagement into that. Now out of this charge of ignorance, this is, um, this is Peter's presentation um, that, that says, hey, even, in that even if it was chosen ignorance, that chosen ignorance wasn't so big of a deal that it would keep them from the love of God in a relationship with him. This is his response. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through the prophets that his Messiah, Jesus, would suffer. 19, therefore, repent and turn back. If you go back to chapter 2, Peter had a very basic gospel presentation. Um, th this is his gospel presentation for them. Repent and turn back so that, and, and he gives... Three things. So that your sins may be wiped out. Whether it's chosen ignorance, whether it's unfaithful, um, sinful acts that, that deal with sex, um, if it's lying, if it's um, just hypocrisy, if it's hatred, no matter what it is. He said literally those sins, the payment of Jesus is so full and, and final that it will literally wipe out and blot out the, the, the debt that we owe to God. That those sins will be wiped out. They'll be taken away. Um, that we, we won't have to live under them anymore. 
verse 20. Um, and, and then when those are wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, that's an interesting phrase because there's only really one other place that in translations of Scripture, that kind of phrasing is used other than this one spot. And, and it's, kind of a, it, it's kind of an odd connection, it seems. But if you go back into the Old Testament, when they first started translating Hebrew and Aramaic out, um, we, we have a phrasing that matches this that refers to when the plagues came on Egypt and, and, and they used this idea of refreshing, seasons of refreshing, when, when the frogs and the locusts left after that plague. Okay, after those plagues came through, when they left, it was it was looked at as the same kind of phrase. Seasons are refreshing. So, in other words, what, what's the mental picture here that Peter's trying to paint for these Israelites? Man, your sins can be wiped out, and just the, this just the sincere relief of of sin debt leaving, and the presence of God coming in you. That there is a season of refreshing. In other words, we will have life breathing to us. We will have hope. We will have relief. I mean, if you think about what it would be like to carry the guilt of sin all through life, and you know you're safe, just to go, I don't have to carry that. The, the life-giving power that Jesus gives us all the time, I mean, that is, that's a refreshing, like, like literally no other. It's, it's one that just doesn't happen. We, we, can, we can experience it. He says, so your sins will be wiped out. This refreshing will come. And how does that refreshing come? And that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. Now, um, he's talking to Israelites. In their culture, the result of, the result of a, a message of repentance being taken into their hearts and, and actively pursued came with God's presence coming back to them. A reconnection between them and the Lord in fellowship. And what Peter's telling them is this. If you repent and turn to Jesus, you won't just have your sins wiped out. You won't just feel and experience this difference, this refreshing of who Jesus calls you to be, but you will have him yourself forever. Now, I want to I stop for a second in, in that passage, and I want to I jump over to another one that's also authored by Luke um, that, that's very popular when it comes to this idea of repentance. Um, and, and I love this story because the people that aren't saved get this story. They know the reference. In, in Luke chapter 15, it's the prodigal son. You can say prodigal son to a whole lot of people in, in, in the United States, in our community, in our city, and, and they, have some, they have some experience with this because this story is attractive, and I think it's attractive sometimes for the wrong reason. Um, I know that we all love a good comeback story. We all will flood auditoriums and listen to someone that can tell great extents that they've walked away from God or turned from God then to come back to God. And, and I think some of that is rooted in just the fact that we like gossip. As people, we're human. We like to know dirt. And we don't like for people to know our dirt. We just like to know the dirt of other people. And, and we're drawn into that. But really, the story of the prodigal is not about just how far someone can get from the Lord, but it's about what happens when somebody turns to him in repentance. So I'm not going to read his whole history. Let's just say he got greedy and he used that greed when it was well-funded, and it took him a long way from his family, from his father. Now, when we talk about repentance, there's three, there's three parts of repentance, three parts of, of, of seven that I want to present to you um, that, that I think we all agree on, no problem. Here's the three I think we have no problem agreeing on. Number one, remorse. Um, if, you, if you even step near repentance, you get remorse. I'm sorry. I, I, I regret I don't like it. I, I feel like something should be different. There's, there's remorse. It's pretty quick. Um, brokenness, the, this idea that I messed up, uh, that, that there's, there's, there's frailty and fault within me. There's remorse. There's brokenness. We agree on those two really easy. And the third one I think we agree on really, really quickly also um, is, is a need for forgiveness. I mean, who in the world doesn't want, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I, everybody doesn't want to. I mean, if you really want to just latch on to and hold on to and not move off of a guilt and, and you kind of self-deprecate and just, you, you feel like you almost feel better living in it than, than just being forgiven, you may want to stay in your, your guilt. You may want to, you may want to push off forgiveness. But, but many times when we're really repentant, we, we, we're sorry. We realize we've done wrong. There's a brokenness there. 
we, we all really quickly jump on this idea of forgiveness is out there and it's ready for us to be had. But I want to read a portion of the story, and then I want to talk to you about four parts that I think are, are maybe we don't, um, not that we would disagree on them, but, but we don't jump on their bandwagons quite as quick, okay? This is, this is where um, this prodigal son, um, he, he, he meets a moment in time where he, he, his eyes are open, his mind is aware, his affections are changing. Verse 17 in Luke 15, when he came to his senses, that stands on its own. I think sometimes we read that like this. He came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's um, hired workers have more than enough food and I am here dying of hunger. We, we read that as one thing and say, okay, what does it mean that he came to his senses? He, he realized that there are people that have it better than him. No, that's not coming to your senses in repentance. Repentance is not about comparison. Repentance simply is my mind is now changing. And, that's, and he had that moment when, when he came to his senses. Then it continues on. And here I am dying of hunger. It, it's, it's, it's realizing he, he is in a certain position that has to change. I'll get up, I'll go to my father's house and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. He owned it and he started a movement in his life. But while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But, but the father, just like God, um, when, when, we, when we're doing the kind of the, the, the rush of how horrible I am, as a good father, what does he do? He stops us. And he stops his son. He says, but the father told his servants, quick. And it's, it's interesting. I, I wonder, I wonder if, if he just, as, and God is such this good father. He's such a perfect father. Um, and, and as this guy represents him, God knows um, when, when maybe he has to quiet us, but we're not ready to hear him directly yet. So the first step is just be quiet and watch and listen what he's doing. Sometimes we're not ready to receive that personal message. So God works around us and lets us watch him for a moment. And then he says, okay, now you're ready. Now you'll listen to me. He says, quick, he told this to his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. See, see, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross and come alive again so we could be better people. He came back to take dead people into life new in him. Uh, we are choosing, I believe we are choosing to be ignorant as believers if we look at our faith in Jesus and just say, this makes me better. I feel like we're choosing to be ignorant if we look at our lives and say, okay, I'm saved. And, and that's, that, that seals my eternity. And that, and, that, and that means I'm going to have God's presence in my life. And then we just push a pause button and go on making a series of decisions in life that don't have anything to do with the Lord or following Him. And, and, and we're, we're living, but we're not living really faithful because we're, not even, we're, we're, ne we're never conscious of, how does somebody see Jesus in me? How do I show somebody that, that, that faith that I have in Christ and really who He is? How do I verbalize that? Where do my conversations go? I, I'm, I'm guilty of all of that myself as well. And I believe we're choosing to be ignorant when we don't look at it for what it is and say there's got to be radical change. Um, you'll hear this term. It will become probably more prevalent. Um, and, and that term in, in our culture, in our society, will be hate speech. And I want to be clear, because from our church, you will hear taught the Word of God. And the Word of God is clear. It has a plan when it comes to certain decisions and certain lifestyles and certain commitments and certain things that we do see that look like they're the outside things of life. But, but it doesn't just speak to them. It, it gives purpose to them. And it's not hating one thing or another or one person or another, but, but, but consider this for a second. If 
If the gospel that takes me from death to life, if the Jesus that brought that to me freely in grace that I didn't deserve, if if I am to worship him, if I'm going to consider God as holy and sovereign and always right and unchangeable in, in, in his character... I may not always understand what he does or why he says what he says, but if, but if I can't consider him to be perfect and holy, then I can pursue a life that I just choose. But if he is all those things, then is it logical for me to think I shouldn't change something about myself for him? I shouldn't consider how a decision of mine, a desire of mine, could really not show Jesus accurately? I mean, really, we have to take measure in how true, how big is the God that we serve? Here's four aspects of of repentance that I think it's a little harder for us to jump on these bandwagons. And I say us, I I mean myself too. The first one is, is that moment he came to, which was what we'll call a redirection of the mind. You know, in Romans 12 too, when it talks about that we're going to live like Jesus, it says that we've got to renew our minds daily. It's got to happen often. Because our thoughts will get off track. Our thoughts will take us somewhere else. We'll convince ourselves of almost anything. If you, if, if you really wonder, do I, if, do I have a superpower? Yes. We as humans can convince ourselves of things that don't exist. I mean, think about it. You can convince yourself um, that, that you just can't have a conversation with someone because they just will never speak to you. You can convince yourself that you can't get up and speak publicly about Jesus. You can convince yourself that you can't face any specific fear. We create realities. But in repentance, we have to have a redirection of our mind. There has to be some kind of thing that clicks in and says, a change has got to happen. For him, he came to his senses. He came to what he already knew about his father. The second thing is this. Responsibility, repentance requires responsibility without excuses. Now, I don't know about you, but it's pretty easy to make excuses. This is not my fault. The way that conversation went, the way that interaction went, the the, the anger that I feel, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's it's what they did that caused it. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that people don't contribute to hurt and anger and all those things. All those are circumstances. But I believe if we if we have been created to be able to redirect our mind then we have been created to say, okay, hurt can exist, anger can exist, but I can choose to not let it be the reason that I act. And for some things that we experience in life, that takes a lot of time to get to that point. Sometimes it takes, we're, we're taking a lot of time, but, but maybe it shouldn't. Um, there was uh, a friend of mine who I was talking to this week um, he knows that I was, I'm studying through this and preaching through this. Um, he sent me a link to a poem that a lady had written um, that was, and, and I'm going to loosely quote this, it was, it was something similar to my life in five chapters. Uh, the first thing said, chapter one, I walk down a road and I fall in a hole. That's chapter one. It was a deep hole and, and the whole idea of the poem was she had to figure out how to get out of the hole. Chapter two, I walked down the same road, I fell in the hole again and I had to get out. Chapter 3 was, I walked down the same road and fell in the same hole, but I'm now familiar with the hole. In other words, she knows how to get out a little bit quicker. She, can, she, she knows what corner she needs to step on to be able to get a little bit higher. Maybe she's like, you know what, um, this corner over here, if I'm going to fall in this hole, I'm going to fall over here because it's a little softer than this spot over here. I don't get banged up as much. Chapter 4 was, I walked down the same street. This time I saw the hole and I avoided it. Chapter 5, I walk down a different street. It kind of makes sense. Because in, in, in our decisions in life, many times we'll simply continue to make the same mistake. We'll, we'll choose to pursue the same sin just because we feel like it's, it's not my fault. It's, it's what somebody else did. It's, it's because I can't. Here's a third one. Repentance calls us to a reorientation of our affection. Um, we need to we need to change what we desire. We need to leave it, and, and and we need to move to something else. Jesus said it this way in John twelve: the one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I don't believe that Jesus was calling us to hate ourselves. 
But when we talk about extremes, what's it going to take for me to passionately pursue Jesus? The things that I do that don't honor him and the things that I do that, that, that take me away from him and will lead me farther away from him, for me to just tolerate him, for me to, for me to make excuses for him, for me to drift back to him often over time, it is not going to get it done. I have to at some moment decide that I despise that enough to hate it in comparison for, for my great love for Jesus. Because if I say that I really love Jesus, but I, but I really keep going back to just me, how much am I really loving Jesus? It, it's got to grow to almost an extreme. I had lunch with a good friend of mine this week, and, and when we meet, we talk about what life has been and what we feel like God um, is, is bringing us to. And, and he made a statement to me, and he's made this statement to me before, and I think there's so much wisdom in it. He talks about how in a specific sin in his life, he didn't just convince himself, but he convinced others that it was under control, that, that it wasn't that big of a deal. And in that convincing, he, he says, I just kept going back to it and back to it. He said, because if I could convince them, then I convinced myself. There's a lot of wisdom in that. But repentance calls us to love Jesus so much that in comparison, we, have to, we, we, we can't keep loving other things so much. Here's the final one. Commitment to a new path. The last chapter in that poem that I, that I referenced to you said what? It said, I went down a different road. It's not just about loving Jesus. It's about making some, some specific, intentional, and obvious changes in our life if we're going to repent. You know, when we get saved, many times the, the greatest changes are in our minds. And that continues through our relationship with God. At certain times in our life, when it's over a specific sin, the change that needs to be made is, um, how do I keep my eyes from being able to see certain things if they lead me to temptation? towards lust or towards something like that? How, how, how do I block that and how do I put my eyes on something totally different? Replace what I, what I need to start despising with what I should be loving. Um, when, when we want to change the way we treat as a, as a spouse, if we want to change the way we are in our marriage, then, then we, have to, we have to make some specific changes. We have to figure out how do we not um, let the same argument keep happening again and again and again without any correction to it, without any real um, growth in it. How do we make some serious changes? Now, in chapter 3, chapter three, they are really starting to flesh this out. What does it mean to live with Jesus? And it starts with Peter and John seeing a guy who had obvious external need, but they realized, I have a doorway opportunity to, to, to work in this guy's life and to work with him and to walk with him and to support him when it comes to his beginning steps in faith in Jesus Christ. We look at that, and, and many times just our biggest obstacle is, is, is what gets us to go share Jesus with others. But then it takes this kind of almost unexpected turn. Then it's Peter talking to other people about this thing of repentance. People that are walking, talking, they're the ones that are giving money to the guy that was handicapped, that was just miraculously healed. They're the ones that are going to look at him and go, man, I feel so sorry for you, but they're going to kind of at the same time look at their own life and go, man, I'm really blessed, I'm really okay, I'm really doing all right. And it's those people that Peter aims this comment, repent and turn. One of the most dangerous things as a believer that we could ever do, or as a lost person, is to just look in the mirror and go, I'm okay, I'm better than. I'm not as bad off as. When the Bible at all times calls us to turn to Jesus. Certain parts of that we jump on board with easy. Some parts we don't. This is what I'd like to do as part of the end of the service. I'd like to be able to invite you into a time because we're going to take time now. The praise team are going to be coming back up. Um, so if you could, even if it just means you not maybe looking at your screen but just listening right now, um, whatever would help you focus the most in these moments, I would like to ask you to do that because I believe um, sometimes we hear a sermon, we hear this call and we say, okay, if, if, if I'm going to live with Jesus, one of the things that I think we need to embrace is, is that he's going to call us to repentance in areas that don't line up with him. And that's not because he doesn't love us. In fact, it's because he loves us greatly and he, and he wants to use us so much. 
And, and, and it will bring us closer to him. So if, if nothing else, if we all will just take one step closer to Jesus right now, because we love him, and, and, and our love for him is, is, is growing, and it is getting great, and, and out of that, we're starting to see other things that we can, we can despise some. We can be free to almost really even start to hate, to move away from them. And, and in this moment, take one step closer to him to say, what can I set aside? What are, what are my attitudes? What are my conversations? What are the things in my life that I can really move from? in repentance, to move closer to Jesus. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray right now, and I want to encourage you. Um, I, I hope maybe you took some notes, and if you, if you didn't, that's okay. But, but in my prayer, I'm really going to focus my prayer towards repentance. And, and you may think that, man, what, what's Derek? Don't, don't worry about what I'm praying over. Um, just, but just let this kind of be a guide and let this be a moment of reflection according to God's word that maybe you could just take this allotted moment to say, I'm going to repent and I'm going to take one step closer to you, Jesus. I'm going to realign my thoughts right now. So here's my prayer. Lord, there are many things that I've done and I'll continue to do at times that don't please you. But Lord, the truth of your word talks about God, how how loving you are and how forgiving you are and how much of a perfect father you are. So God, help me in this moment and, and as I think about my life, Lord, thank you for bringing things to my mind that I can realize, Lord, that, that, that my, my direction was just simply wrong and that something needs to change. And God, I pray that you allow me to feel remorse over that, that you allow me to feel grief over that, to be able to see the evidence of my brokenness and my inability to just do the right thing always. Lord, make that, make that evident to me. God, not that I would feel like I can't, but God, that I feel like I, I can only go to you. And God, remove excuses from me. God, show me where I've made excuses. Show me the way that I'm comparing myself to be able to affirm, God, what I've done that's been unpleasing to you. God, help me in that take responsibility for the moment that I stand in God, not just realizing that I need forgiveness, but realizing, God, that I can get it from you. And Lord, now in this moment, forgive me as your son. Lord, I pray that you just um, allow me to sense and know and walk in the freedom that you wipe out sin and that you refresh and that your presence is the source of life. And God, in that forgiveness, God, I pray that my affection, my love, like never before, Jesus will be for you. That I won't fall in love with myself and my desires, but I will in fact hate those in ways, God, that just draws me into you. And God, where I need to change, where I need to have accountability that I don't have it, God, where I need to have conversations that need to happen, Lord, I pray that, that a new path will be my testimony. God, give us the courage to not tempt ourselves by going to the same places and looking at the same things and not being honest and not being humble. God, help the new path be what I'm on, what's in front of me, where my feet are. So God, simply put, Lord, we will walk away and we will avoid things that will trip us up. We know it. And God, through the power and the grace of Jesus, through the gospel and really what it means, death to life, Lord, help us to walk in that and, and carry that. Not just that we're a little better, but God, you're calling us to, to, to be a creation that we've never even known that we could be. Lord, I pray that our faithfulness is what you will find in us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.